Hey there, my name is Roy and I'm the lead pastor here at Arthur Pentecostal Assembly. We're so glad that today you have chosen to join us for our online service. Now, a few weeks ago, we began a series called Lost in Translation, where we looked at some of the things that Christians say, that that we inside the church understand, but if we were a church that is accepting and welcomes all people, we need to be, it's really important that we look at some of the stumbling blocks that may get in the way of people coming to faith or discovering or journeying on their faith. And so we don't want to keep anybody out. Someone explained it to me this way, coming into a church that's not your church is like coming to a family reunion and it's not your family. But not only is it not your family, it is like this family is a different culture where you don't understand, you've never heard their songs, they have inside jokes, and, and quite frankly, they have their own language that they, only they understand. If you don't believe me, here's an example. Christians, we, we don't have a party we have a fellowship, or, or we have a pot blessing. See, we don't even like the word luck, so we don't call it pot luck. We call it pot blessing. Now, I understand it, but no one outside the church calls it a pot blessing. So we've tried to pull back the curtain on some of these phrases. In week one, we looked at this phrase that God spoke to me. Week two, we looked at the, the phrase or, or the concept of being born again or saved. Last week, Pastor Justin did a great job as he explained the phrase, in Jesus' name. Now, what's the craziest thing that you've ever done? A few years ago, my family and I were in Florida, and right, we were right in the Orlando area, and there was this, there's this ride right downtown called the Orlando Slingshot. And how do I explain it to you? It's like two big giant poles with a bungee cord attached to this little car or this little ball that you get two people inside, you strap yourselves to, they pull it back, and then they launch it 390 feet into the air as fast as you can imagine, this reverse bungee jump. Now, I'm sure you would love to be able to see what that looks like. Well, we just happen to have the video. Okay, here they are, waiting to ride the slingshot. They're insane. (laughs) Here we are. The Orlando Slingshot. Do you have any famous last words? Um, no. Not yet, at least. Famous last words? Um, come look for us if that thing snaps. All right, here they go. Getting in. Getting in. Oh boy. See if he fits. He's in. It's not gonna break, by the way. It's not. This locks. That locks. I'm positive. Okay, here we go. Here they go. Say goodbye. Say goodbye. All right. Good luck. Here they go. 
Can you see them, Mace? Now, as you saw, Janelle and I are in the air, and it was awesome. Like, it was awesome, it was terrifying, it was exhilarating all at the same time. But at some point, gravity takes over, and you begin falling dramatically. I mean, we deal with gravity all the time, we just don't seem to think about it. But in the late 1600s, Isaac Newton, who is recognized as one of the most influential scientists in history, he's credited with coming up with the formula to explain the law of gravity. Now, many of us grew up with this story where we were told that Isaac Newton was, he was sitting underneath a, a, a tree one day and he's napping and an apple falls out of the tree and hits him in the head and that's how he gets the idea to discover gravity. And we, we know now that that was a bit of a myth, but Isaac Newton was obsessed with finding out how gravity works. He was obsessed with the moon, that it would just hover over our planet, that it just it, it, it just hung there, and it never came closer to us and crashed into the planet, and it never went off its orbit way out somewhere else. And for the next 20 years, he was determined to discover what gravity actually is. And that's how we get this formula for gravity. And the formula is F equals G times M1 times M2 divided by R2. F, of course, is the gravitational force. G is the gravitational constant. M1 and M2 are the mass objects. R is the center of the masses. Now, if you're confused, that's okay. I never did well in science, and what I'm passing on to you, I'm just reading from a, a textbook because I don't really actually understand it that much either. But I say all that to say this, because this is all you really need to remember. What goes up must come down. I mean, I was sl slingshot, slingshot, slingshotted, I don't even know if that's the word, slingshot into the air at a fast rate, but eventually... Eventually, gravity is always going to take over. What, must, what goes up must come down. Even if the bungee cord snapped, and I'm so thankful that it didn't, and we kept going, eventually we would have still came down. See, gravity isn't optional. It's a principle. See, it doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter what gender you are. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian, an atheist. Nothing matters because gravity affects everybody. You can't ignore it. I mean... I guess you could. I mean, you could jump off a building and ignore it, but eventually you can't because it's, it's going to be very prevalent in that moment. We all know this. We know that the principle of gravity exists. Today we're going to look at another principle that we find in the Bible. It's, it's, and it's part of your everyday. It's part of everything you do. It's part of every relationship you're part of. And like gravity, it really doesn't matter who you are. You are affected by it. And it's this old school principle called sowing and reaping. If you've been around church for any length of time, you've probably heard someone say you need to sow into something. 
And this principle is found in the book of Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. And it says this, For who, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. See, that's the King James Version. I think it should actually say reapeth, but it doesn't. The message version says this, What a man or woman plants, he or she will harvest. In the same way that gravity's principle says what goes up must come down, the principle of sowing and reaping is something that we all need to come to terms with. And the basic principle is this, what you sow, you will reap. See, some outside the church, they would say they believe this is what karma is. See, karma is this Hindu belief that if you do something good, something good will come back to you. If you do something bad, something bad will come back to you. And if it doesn't come back to you right now, it will come back to you in another lifetime. But Bono from the band U2 said this, I'd be in big trouble if karma was going to finally be my judge. I'm holding out for grace. I'm holding out that Jesus took my sins onto the cross. See, if you, if you follow Jesus, you realize that in following Jesus, you don't get what you deserve. Grace, grace says that you don't get what you have coming to you. You know, as Jesus lay on the cross, as he was crucified on the cross, there was, there was a criminal to his left and a criminal to his right. And there was nothing in the text that indicates that anything they had done was anything but sinful. And, but because one of them put their faith in Jesus in the last moments of their life, that person went to, that guy went to heaven with Jesus. Because he probably thought as he was laying on the cross, well, this is karma. I'm getting what I deserve. But grace says it's never too late. Grace says you don't get what you deserve. Grace says that faith in Jesus is the hope of the world. See, eternally, grace wins the day. But during the time that God has given you on this planet, there is this principle in play that whether you choose to embrace it or not, that what you sow, you will reap. It's underlying in everything you do. And whether you choose to embrace it or whether you choose to ignore it, both have incredible consequences. Paul writes about this in his letter to the Galatians. But Jesus also teaches this, this principle of sowing and reaping throughout his gospel. Now, considering the time in the region that Jesus taught, this would be something that his audience would fully understand because Jesus lived in what they called an agrarian culture. That means that most people on some level were farmers. See, in our day, if I want potatoes, I go to the grocery store and I buy potatoes. I might even have a coupon. But in Jesus' day, if you want potatoes, you needed to grow your own potatoes. And if you didn't grow your own potatoes, then you need to know somebody who does grow potatoes that you could trade with. It was an agrarian culture. And so Jesus teaches this principle that what, whatever seed you plant in the ground, that's what you're going to get. It's a very simple principle. If you plant seeds for tomatoes, you're going to get tomatoes. If you plant seeds for, for, for apples, you're going to get an apple tree. Whatever you plant, that's what you will get. That's the principle that Jesus teaches. And as a church, we can sometimes gloss over this because maybe we've heard this principle, but we've always been, it's always been taught to or it's always been tied to money. Or you've seen somebody on TV who says, pleaded with you that if you'll sow X amount of dollars, you will reap a blessing of this many more dollars. If you do this, God will do this. 
And it's like, it's like they've unlocked some secret formula. Now God's forced to bless you. See, I don't see that anywhere in the Bible. What I do see is this principle of reaping and sowing playing out in your life in so many ways. Turn with me to the book of Galatians. Now, in chapter 6, Paul is writing here to the church in Galatia. Paul is one of the, the greatest missionaries, greatest church planners that the world has ever seen. And Galatia was this ancient city that stood what we now know as northern Turkey, this real city. The church in Galatia is dealing with some problems. And one of those problems is this, that the people in the church have this tendency to look around at everyone else and compare themselves, and they're falling, to pray, the, falling prey to envy and insecurity when they look around. Man, I'm so thankful that a couple thousand years later that we never do that anymore. Uh, we've advanced ourselves way past anyone ever looking and comparing and feeling insecure. I kid. Uh, they should be really grateful they didn't have Facebook. But Paul addresses it in Galatians chapter 6, beginning in verse 3, and this is what he says. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. I mean, Paul doesn't hold back any punches. He goes right for it. Verse 4, pay careful attention to your own work, for you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. Verse 5, for we are each responsible for our own conduct. Here's what Paul's saying. See, all of us have this natural tendency to look at others and compare ourselves. So we all do this. Early on when you were a kid, think way back to when you used to, you used to get, write a test and you would get the, the, it was that day where the teacher handed back the test, handed out to each person, and, and you looked at the test and maybe you got a B on it. And you worked really hard, like you, you thought this was the one. I, I'm sure I got an A on this test. And it gets slapped down on your, on your desk and you lift it up and it's like, a B? And the first thing you want to know is this, and we all do this. First thing you want to know is, how did everyone else do? Because on its own, like, you were disappointed with a B, but when you, what if when you start asking around, everyone else got C's and D's? And actually, you're the only person, no one got an A. You're the only person that got a B. Now, all of a sudden, you're proud of yourself because you've got the highest mark in the class. In fact, when you take this home to tell mom and dad, you're not going you're, you're to spend any time on the fact that you didn't get an A. You're going to spend all of your time telling them, I got the highest. I'm the best in the class. But what if you found out that your B was actually one of the lowest marks in the class? Almost everyone got an A. But you've got to be the exact same grade, but now all of a sudden you feel terrible about yourself. See, we still do this in adulthood. We look around and we compare ourselves and we look at other people so we can get an idea of how we're doing in life. And then you throw social media in the mix and we have this t tendency to compare ourselves. And what we do is we compare our behind the scenes to everyone else's highlight reel. And so Paul's saying, don't compare yourself to anyone else. Strive to be who God has called you to be. But it's hard because 
we compare ourselves and we get our worth from how we stack up with others. We look around, we're like, well, he's about the same age or she's about the same age and, and, and they're doing this and they have this and they go on vacation here and we just, we, this is where we get our worth sometimes. And, and then, it, even that's hard, but then we also make excuses when we see other people's success. We say things like, well, if I was raised in that family, if I had that amount of money, if I was born with better looks, if I had a better gene pool, if I was more athletic naturally, I mean, if I was handed life the way they were handed life, well, I'll tell you, things would definitely be different. It's not my fault. See, the problem is when you compare yourself to someone else, you rob yourself of the plan God has designed for you. You let yourself off the hook. When you compare yourself, you tend to make excuses for you, and you become far less than what God ever created you to be. This leads you to a life less than what the Heavenly Father had envisioned for you from the start. And if you compare, continue to compare yourself and make excuses for your life, Paul says you fool yourself. You deceive yourself. The only life you should compare to yours is yours. The life you were created to live. See, a couple months ago, I began running. Running at a track in... I never, I, I, I've never really got my stamina back after my heart surgery, so I knew it was going to require some work, but I, I, and I knew I had to put in the work, but I hate running. Like, I really hate running. Proverbs 28.1 says, the wicked run when no one is chasing them. I mean, totally out of context, but this became my life verse. I hate running, but I decided I'm going to start running. And so I started using the Nike Running Club app, which I never thought I would ever use. And, but it tracks everything about your run. It tracks how fast you were moving. It tracks the, the average pace of, your, of each lap you do, your quickest kilometer. And it tracks everything you could ever want to know about your run. And so I was running, and, and, and truthfully, I was running, walking, running, walking kind of thing, and trying to build myself up. And I would do their 25-minute program. And after about four or five times doing it, I started to feel better. Well, actually, I, I felt less worse. I think that's, that's probably it. I still hated I still hated it. I dreaded going running, but I, I could realize I was, I was getting less winded and I was making some progress. And I started to feel good because my time was getting better and better in that 25-minute run. Then one day I looked up on Google, what's a good decent pace for running a kilometer. And I looked at it, and I looked at my pace, and I was dis pretty discouraged, because they were way off. But that was the wrong thing to do. Because I'm not a runner. I run, but I don't consider myself a runner. Runners have this sort of look, this physique. If, if God wanted me to be, to be a runner, he wouldn't have given me this frame, this structure. And so, I had the, this, this, this whole thought that I'm not where everyone else is, had this, had this potential to halt my running. So I had to make a decision. And the decision was this, I'm only going to compare my time with my time. My goal each time I run is to beat the time that I ran the last time, which is hard enough. But it creates progress, and it makes me better. 
Paul says, sink yourself into that. Pay attention to your own work. You are responsible for your own conduct. The world's already full of people that are trying to copy each other and make excuses about why they're spinning their wheels. You weren't created to be a copy. God's, God's word says that you are his handiwork, that you were, you were beautifully and masterfully created. You were, not, you were meant to be an original. You were not supposed to be a copy because a copy is not as valuable. I was downtown Niagara Falls one night, and uh, my wife and I were on vacation. And there was this guy on the side of the road, and he was selling uh, his artwork on the street. And, and they were pretty impressive. Like, there was a whole bunch. He, was, he did, like, celebrity artwork and stuff like that. He, he had a drawing that he'd done. If you know me, my favorite basketball player is Michael Jordan. He had drawn Michael Jordan. His likeness was on candy, the beats of sweat on his head. It was quite good. It was in this cardboard frame, and he was selling his drawing for $15. And I thought... That's a great price. That's a lot of work that went into that. So I bought it. But when I got home, I examined it a little more carefully, and I took back the, the cardboard frame, and, and I realized it actually wasn't hand-drawn. It was a photocopy. And immediately the value, I thought $15 was a good price for it, but now all of a sudden, that was a terrible price. It was a rip-off. The value of the drawing dropped in my eyes. It, it, now, if you held it up to the original from a distance, I'm sure it would look the same, but it's not an original creation. You are an original creation. You were never meant to be a cheap knockoff or, or copy somebody else or try to be like somebody else. So, so quit trying to be. The other problem is this. We want what other people have, but we don't want to sacrifice what they have sacrificed. It's been said that it takes 10,000 hours of practice and discipline to become an expert in any field. Now, I would love to be musical in some way. I've always been a little bit envious of those that are great musicians. I'd love to be able to just play piano or, or pick up a guitar and play guitar. But truthfully, I don't really want to put in the work that most musicians have. And I've convinced myself I'm not a musician, so I'm like, why would I put in the work? Many of us want what others have without sacrificing what they have. We want great, we want great grades, but we don't want to, kids don't want to, they don't want to sacrifice their social time or their YouTube time or their TV time or their video game time. We want to be millionaires, but we don't really want to be millionaires uh, in the way that we have to be frugal with our money to get there. We still want $7 lattes at Starbucks. We want a beach body, but we hate exercise and we love chocolate. We want to do what we want to do, but we want to get the results and the blessings that others have. And Paul says, stop comparing yourself and get to work and set a standard for you. Verse 7, Paul says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. See, stop blaming God when you don't become the person you know you can because you spend all your time copying someone else. He says, you will always harvest what you plant. And there it is. That's it right there. You will always harvest or you will always reap what it is that you plant or what it is that you sow. Verse 8 says, those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature, nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. See, you're either going to sow something good, something 
outside of you that's eternally minded or something bad, something sinful in nature in mind. And which one you choose has incredible implications. If you plant for you outside the will of God, you will harvest the consequential destruction that that follows. But if you align your life with God's Spirit and plant good things, God-pleasing things, you will harvest the blessing. Either way, this principle is in place. What you sow or plant, you you will reap later. What it is you sow, you will reap later and greater. Let me say that again. What it is you sow, you will reap later and greater. Billy Ray Harris was homeless and on the streets of Kansas City. And one day a young lady dropped some of her change into his cup. And doing so, she accidentally dropped her engagement ring in with it. Billy Ray noticed the ring a little while later and took it to the jewelry store and got it appraised. The appraiser said it's worth $4,000. See, it's times like this that you need to make a decision who you are. Billy Ray decided he wasn't going to sell the ring. He was going to keep it in the hopes that the young woman would walk by again. And she did. And she was, he was able to return the ring to its rightful owner. And when asked why he didn't pawn it for cash, he said this, My grandfather was a reverend. He raised me from the time I was six months old, and thank the good Lord it's a blessing, but I do still have some character. But the blessing had not been seen yet, because he had, he had chosen to sow into his character, even though he could use the money and he could have sowed into something that was wrong. The young woman, touched by his decency and character, started a fund for the down-and-out man, hoping that she would raise $1,000. The story got out there, and three months later, what had come in for Billy Ray was $190,000. That money helped him get back on his feet, buy a car, put a down payment on a home, and start his own painting business. What you sow, you will reap later and greater. You see, farmers understand this principle. If you plant a seed for an apple tree, it doesn't just pop up all of a sudden. But later, you will have greater. You will have a tree full of apples if you're patient. See, we live in this instant world. Microwaves, drive-thrus, instant streaming, music on demand. We've lost a bit of our patience for something later and greater. You see, an oak tree takes 60 years to grow. A mushroom takes six hours to grow. But no one protests when a mushroom's picked. But you try to cut down an old oak tree and see how angry people get. It's because great things take time. That's why some people give up on their God-given dreams. dreams Because it didn't happen right away. And then all of a sudden they say, well, God didn't answer my prayer. But we need to be planting seeds that sometimes take 60 years to grow. Solomon, the wisest man to live, in Proverbs 24, he says this, Those too lazy, now other translations they say the sluggard or the fool. If you read any of Solomon's things, if you read any of his wisdom, you never want to be the fool, trust me. But he says, those too lazy to plow in the right season will have no food at the harvest. 
And what he's saying is that you need to get into this habit of sowing or investing your life in things that matter and then give it space and time and allow it to harvest. Because if you don't, if you choose not to invest into things worthwhile, you will look back on your life and wonder what happened. But if you sow, you always reap later and greater. Verse 9, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. That's so encouraging. However, if you sow the wrong things, you will reap those later and greater as well. If you're reckless with your spending, that will harvest later and greater. Depending on how bad it is, you will head down a path that where you lose your house, you lose your business, you lose your car, your retirement plan, later and greater. If you sow discouragement, if you sow hurtful words into your, and neglect towards your spouse and your kids, you will reap later and greater. You will wonder what happened to your marriage. You'll wonder why your adult kids never want to spend any time or talk to you anymore. Here's an area where Facebook is really helpful. When I first got on Facebook, I accepted, I think I accepted every friend request. And I got a lot of friend requests from people that I went to high school with. And I thought, oh, this is great. I'll get a chance to catch up with them. But I really never interacted with them. And I didn't even interact much with them back then as, as well. But it was interesting to see how some of their lives had unfolded. The classmates in high school that sewed into popularity, the ones that sewed into parties, that sewed into drugs, into alcohol, the ones that blew off their schoolwork, as a rule of thumb, it seemed that they had reaped a tougher go in life. Their Facebook statuses seemed to complain about things like my job that I hate that's going nowhere, my relationship that's broken, my kids are, I'm fighting with, these, these type of things. And some of the people that sewed into different things in high school, they sewed into their future. They completed the projects. They treated their education with a little more seriousness. They, they sewed into healthy relationships. They seemed to be reaping the blessing of those decisions now. They seemed like they were a little more settled in life. They seemed like they were a little more happy with their situation. Now let's keep in mind, it's Facebook. It's easy to mask what's going on and there are a lot of factors. And you can't get a real, real picture just by someone's status in their pictures. It's not a scientific study, but it feels like there's some correlation there. Whether it's good things or bad things, you will reap what you sow later and greater. Now let me ask you this question before we close. Is there a place in your life where you were thinking, I'm not where I wanted to be. I, I'm not where I think I should be. You're thinking, back in high school, I, I thought I would be further along than I am now. I thought when I got married, I thought my family would be in a different spot than they are. I thought my career path would have a different arc to it. Is there somewhere that you are now that you thought would be different? Because if you work backwards, if you start where you are and you work backwards, it's very likely you can trace back where you are now in any area of your life to the seeds you planted a while back. So if that's the case, you have two choices. You can live with the regret, or you can start planting right now for later, no matter what your age is. Because sometimes it's the people around you that benefit from the harvest. Young people, 
That means planting seeds towards your future, taking your schoolwork seriously, working more on your character than your reputation. Young people, listen to me for a moment. Here's a tip. If you care about your character more than your reputation, trust me, your reputation will take care of itself. Parents with school-age kids, one day your kids are going to leave home. I know, it seems like an eternity. Take it from someone who's right on the bubble of that happening. Your kids can take all the focus, and I believe they should be a major priority in your life. But don't leave your marriage out. Schedule dates. so into your relationship. Spend time with each other. Otherwise, one day, your kids are going to walk out the door, and you're going to look at each other, and you're not going to recognize each other. Sow that seed now. Older folks, continue to sow into the next generation because you have so much to offer. This church right here is reaping what others have sown in the past. Continue to sow looking towards the future. What you sow into matters. Invest your life into things that have eternal harvest. Sow your life into things where God has moved your heart. Give your time, give your energy, give your finances things that will produce harvest. Don't look back on your life and reap the harvest of negativity and wonder, how did I get here? So from this day forward, you have no excuse. Make it matter. The principle of sowing and reaping is happening all around you. You can choose to leverage it to produce incredible, life-giving harvest, or you can ignore it and be forced to embrace it later with regret. Today is your day to start fresh. It's planting season now. So let's get to work. Let's pray. God, I pray that we would evaluate and we'd search our hearts right now, as tough as it might be. It's sometimes hard to take responsibility for some of the circumstances around us, God, but a lot of times when we're not where we thought we would be or we're in, we, we, we have regrets, we, we can, if we're honest, if we're truthful, we can look back and we can see spots where we planted the wrong seeds. But God... Today starts the rest of our lives. And we can plant a new seed today. We can plant a new seed in the hopes that we will reap the harvest of it later. So God, let us continue to do that. Let us be a people that are planting good things. And let us be blessed by the harvest later. And it won't always be us that is blessed, but it's those around us can be blessed by what we plant right now. God, I thank you that you're a great God who loves us. And Lord, we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.